Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.30 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 11th of May, 2020. Happy Havening and welcome to Block Height. 629,973. That's what my note is showing is the last block that was mined. We are now 27 blocks until the halvening. And yes, I'm calling it the halvening. So I'm going to be bringing you quite a bit of halvening news today. Y'all wussies out there that say having. Yeah, whatever, dude, whatever. The first thing up is this one. Uh, this is for me. Plan now to get your transaction into block 630,000 and 630,001. Who can get into either one of those blocks for one Satoshi per byte? Gold is for pussies. Bones heal. Chicks dig scars. Bitcoin is forever. Next up. Light Knight, the lightning game, uh, has some interesting news in. It says, this tweet was about an hour ago, says, we created the first UTXO-based token explorer for in-game assets. <laughs> Inspect in- in-game asset properties from the web store, several improvements, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they got a blog, so I'm going to read a little bit from that, from their April blog here. <clears throat> um This is blog.lightnight.io. Again, that's blog.lightnight.io. Lightnight is spelled L-I-G-H-T-N-I-T-E, by the way. Game assets. Skins are now tokens running on the liquid sidechain. My God almighty. I just... Tokens are running... Tokens that represent skins are running on the liquid sidechain. This is just becoming mind-boggling the way this is the, the way this is running and games i mean there's going to be a there's going to be a an ignition temperature that that video games hit and when it does watch out because the whole gaming industry is going to freaking explode and if you don't believe me i can't help you okay but uh, we have been extremely focused on implementing a distributed infrastructure to provide extra security and ownership to our game assets. This implementation is still pretty early, but we have adapted the tokenization process to match as much as possible with the gameplay specification to be compatible with the arena game mode. Uh, let's see, there's uh, some improvements here on the web platform in the library section after the purchase of a skin. Now you can inspect additional information about the tokenized asset properties related to such items. Uh, The Skins Explorer, they say, great news. We've put together the first UTXO-based NFT token explorer in Bitcoin history. The Explorer is available at explorer.lightnight.io. And you can see all the current available skins 
in the game as well as the liquid their liquid asset properties currently you can filter skins by rarity type as well as searching by skin name the utxo and the liquid id so again i wholeheartedly believe and will stake my entire reputation that which it is on the fact that um there will be an ignition temperature that will be reached by video games with bitcoin and when it does it's going to rip your face off and this this entire the, and and one of the reasons why i really believe that is because the way video games have gotten into the whole e-gaming thing and how large e-gaming has become you're talking about billions of dollars at this point not millions not hundreds of thousands but billions of dollars as a as a standalone industry e-gaming represents billions of dollars as a standalone in industry okay when this stuff when this shit starts filtering through uh, the way that I think it's going to filter through e-gaming is going to become like a nuclear bomb. And when that son of a bitch goes off, we're going to be talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. All right. So just um, if you're <laughs> if you've ever thought about <clears throat> getting into e-gaming, I suppose now would be the time. Uh, it seems kind of silly because there's so many really good players out there, but this uh, this industry is probably going to explode to the point that uh, the rise, you know, the rising tide raises all boats. Uh, you could probably put some more boats onto that ocean. Now it's become, in fact, e-gaming. I, I forgot to tell you all this a couple of weeks ago. When and my arm is still kind of jacked up. It's not as bad. It's it's much better now. But uh, when I was first going to the chiropractor, I had there was one day that I brought my kids, and my son said something about playing video games and chiropractor started mentioning that the public school system here in uh around the uh uh amarillo area <clears throat> especially at least one of the private schools and i'm thinking that the high schools which would be the public school system here have instituted um the ability to get credit as or it's not cre not credit you can you can get a letter jacket a varsity letter letter jacket in e-gaming I am not lying, okay? If you don't think that this industry is going to just rip your face off here in a couple of years, then you're you're going to get your face ripped off. You got protect your face, people. Protect your face. Believe every word that I say because this with what uh, the light night people are doing with uh, assets and between that and e-gaming, I see a synergy a fusion synergy that's about to occur. It is going to be absolutely kick ass. Now, the next thing up, we're gonna we're gonna get right here into the snooze that you can use. Let's start with some halving news. The Bitcoin halving price rally. Here's what happened in 2016. A bit of history, if you will. Bitcoin spiked by 2,916% last time. If that happened again, Bitcoin would hit $273,000. But will it? This is Daniel Phillips writing for Decrypt.co sometime this morning. Bitcoin is scheduled to complete its third halving event later today, which will see the rewards miners receive for verifying transactions slashed by 50% every four years, or more specifically, after every 210,000 blocks are mined, the Bitcoin network halves its block reward or the subsidy. It really should be the subsidy. 
when the Bitcoin network first launched, the block reward was set to 50 Bitcoin. This meant that any miner or group of miners involved in mining a block received a 50 BTC reward. Thanks to two halvings, this reward now sits at 12.5 BTC and is set to reduce to just 6.25 BTC in a matter of hours. Here's what happened the last time. The most recent halving occurred on July the 9th, 2016. At the beginning of July 2016, BTC was priced at around $673, having fallen from a peak of over $750 the month prior. Bitcoin then fluctuated between $600 and $700 up until the day of the halvening, reaching a peak price of, oh God, $666. Ooh, mark of the beast on that day. Bitcoin would go on to trade horizontally until the end of the month, following which it experienced a dramatic sell-off and crashed down to as low as $533 by August the 3rd. Then it started to recover, like Bitcoin always does. This recovery went on to become one of the most significant rallies in Bitcoin history. As it gradually climbed to over $1,000 by January 2017, to $2,000 by May, $4,000 by August, and $8,000 by November of the same year, Bitcoin eventually recorded its all-time highest value of $20,089, or it's $20,089 on December 17th, 2017, equivalent to gaining 2,916% between the date of the second halving and its maximal price point. This climb from 666 to 20,089 took a total of 17 months. To put this into perspective, if Bitcoin experienced similar price action in the upcoming 17 months, this would be the equivalent of climbing from $9,050 today up to $273,000 by October of 2021. But whether this will actually happen is anyone's guess. Of course, because why? (laughs) Dude, it's the corn. We're talking about the corn. Nobody knows what the corn is going to do. Corn always surprises, though. That's at least something that we know that it's always going to do. Okay, now, more Havening speak. Why Satoshi Nakamoto created the Bitcoin having? Stop using having. It's the having, pal. This is the Daily Hodel staff writing for the Daily Hodel sometime this morning. With Bitcoin's third having upon us, the debate on if and when the big event will affect the future price of the largest cryptocurrency rages on. But the rules guiding the creation of new BTC hammered into the software by its anonymous creator, Satoshi Nakamoto, are crystal clear, thank God. In stark contrast to traditional currencies controlled by governments and printed at will, Satoshi set a hard supply cap of 21 million coins. In addition, approximately every four years, the BTC rewards handed out to miners are slashed in half, with the current having reducing that number from 12.5 coins per block to 6.25 coins per block. The rewards system combines with difficulty or Bitcoin's difficulty adjustment, which <clears throat> excuse me, automatically analyzes network activity and tweaks the amount of compute power necessary to process transactions to ensure miners can continue to earn profit as BTC becomes increasingly scarce. The dwindling Bitcoin mining rewards are a cat central piece of Satoshi's method for allowing new BTC to enter the supply and ensuring that supply does not outpace demand all the while carefully controlling and mitigating the effects of inflation. He addressed the topic in an exchange with the late Bitcoin pioneer Hal Finney via email back in 2008. Quote, The fact that new coins are produced means the money, the money supply increases by a planned amount, but this does not necessarily result in inflation. 
if the supply of money increases at the same rate that the number of people using it increases, prices remain stable. If it does not increase as fast as demand, there will be deflation and early holders of money will see its value increase. Coins have to get initially distributed somehow and a constant rate seems like the best formula, end quote. Bitcoin supply schedule will slow to a crawl in the years and decades to come, ensuring an increasingly limited number of BTC enters the market. That rate of new Bitcoin creation will slow so much that it will take more than 100 years for the last Bitcoin to be mined. That will likely happen sometime around the year 2140. And honestly, guys, I've heard it on several occasions that we, that last will never get to exactly 21 million coin that has ever been mined. Okay. Now there's a lot of Bitcoin that's been lost. So that's just, that's just gone. But if you don't correct for that, the amount of Bitcoin that will only ever be mined out of the mining system will be 21 million. And there's some good reasoning or not good reasoning. There, there's some solid reasoning as to why it won't actually ever hit 21 million. But that, I mean, when we get, first of all, we're all going to be dead by the time that shit happens. So unless there's like weird life extension technology that is affordable, that comes online in the next few years. Yeah. We're probably all going to be dead. So Honestly, it kind of doesn't matter to us, but it's an interesting thought experiment. I'll give it that. Okay, let's see. Oh, big shift in traders selling Bitcoin coming after the halving. Stop it, says one on-chain analyst, Willie Wu. Daily Hodel staff writing yesterday for thedailyhodel.com says, crypto analyst and influencer, Willie Wu, says miners will no longer be the largest sellers of Bitcoin after the halving. In a tweet storm, Wu says that crypto exchanges will soon take over the role as the biggest source of selling pressure once block rewards are halved. Quote, post this 2020 halvening. Oh, hey, we'll see, Willie gets it. Willie uses the word halvening. Excellent work, Willie. Post this 2020 halvening, miners will cease to be the biggest sellers of Bitcoin. It'll be the dawn of the crypto exchanges as the leading seller. The biggest sell pressure on Bitcoin will soon be from exchanges selling their BTC fees collected into fiat. The on-chain analyst says that crypto exchanges are essentially tax agents that collect fees in BTC from traders. Wu estimates that exchanges extract 1,200 BTC per day from trading fees. My God. Meanwhile, minor block rewards will drop to 900 BTC per day from 1,800 BTC per day after the third halving as BTC slowly more moves towards its total supply cap of 21 million coin. As for the source of his figures, Wu says he's engaging with over-the-counter crypto trading desks to compile those numbers. So, Willie Wu, at least he uses the right terminology. Get it? Have any? <clears throat> it would be interesting, and I had... Didn't really realize that the exchanges were getting that much uh, Bitcoin in fee. But it kind of dawns on me, though, that, you know, we never can tell what's going to occur in the ecosystem. You know, it's, oh, well, it's only ever going to be miners that, that, you know, that cause the sell pressure. Well, yeah, on, but, you know, as Willie points out, maybe not. You know, maybe it is going to be the, the exchanges. And then maybe one day the exchanges go, God, you know, maybe we shouldn't be selling our BTC into fiat. Then where does the sell, where does the sell pressure come from? I guarantee it'll be something, something that I'm not thinking of, something that one of you guys have already thought of. And if you've already thought of what comes next, 
Put it out on Twitter, bro. I mean, shit, I'd like to read that. Just saying. Gold's upside now pales in comparison to BTC, says Weiss Ratings. I am not a fan of Weiss Ratings. I don't think they know dick about what's going on with Bitcoin or cryptocurrency because they keep rating shit like XRP is like number one or, you know, some kind of stupid scam coin is number two or something like that. So take the take what they're about to say with a grain of salt, but still daily hodl staff writing yesterday for daily hodl says Weiss ratings predicts that the value of gold will increase once the coronavirus pandemic is over, but says its upside pales in comparison to that of Bitcoin. According to the crypto ratings agency, the digital nature of Bitcoin gives it several advantages over gold. Their traditional hedge against inflation, quote, government bureaucrats cannot inflate away the purchasing power of your gold like they can with fiat currency, but they can send their stormtroopers stomping in to seize it. In 1933, a United States president famously confiscated all the gold in America. Australia's 1959 Banking Act empowered the government to force private citizens to turn in their gold for paper currency, and in 1966, Britain's Labour government made it illegal for any person to own more than four precious metal coins. Don't think, don't think stuff like this can't still happen. Bankrupt, spendthrift governments, especially when their backs are against the wall, will grab just about any asset they can lay their hands on, end quote. Bitcoin is also more mobile than gold, argues Weiss Ratings, because it requires costly permits and protection during transport. And he's talking about gold, not Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't actually require costly permits and protection during transport. The same is true when it comes to storage. Gold needs a secure location like a vault or bank, but Bitcoin does not have the same requirement because there is no physical asset to store. At time of publishing, Bitcoin is equivalent to $8,534 according to CoinMarketCap, but Weiss expects it to rise in the long run after the halving further slashes the rate of new supply entering the market. Quote, three or four fold gains are well within the realm of possibility already since the mid-March flash crash in the investment markets. Bitcoin has been outperforming gold five to one and i'm as we've seen poor peter is peeing his pants but for now let's do some vitals having vitals we've got the s p down a quarter nasdaq is up a half Dow Jones is down a half, FTSE's up a tenth or down a tenth. The Nikkei is up one percent, and the uh, Hang Seng is up one and a half percent. Volatility is back up a little bit. My God, it's pretty. It's actually pretty low right now. Its last was twenty-eight and a half, but it has a one and three-quarter percent change to the upside on that. So we, you know, we never know here. All the bond prices are up. Or, <clears throat> well, all the bond yields are up, rather. Sorry, not the prices. Uh, the 10-year, U.S. 10-year is yielding about three-quarters of a percent. 30 years uh, yielding 1.4. The five-year is yielding a third of a percent. Uh, the German bond is still yielding negative half a percent. But look at Japan's 10-year is back into positive territory, yielding you a whopping 0.009% yield. Oil is down 1.5%. It's at 24 and a third. 
Natural gas is up. Gold is down, what, 0.0? Oh, no, I'm sorry, 0.875. Its last was about $1,700, where it's been for a long, long freaking time. But again, we'll get into talking about actual money here. Let's see what's going on. Bitcoin is at 8,924.86. Looks like our high is going to be at coins bid at 9,011. And our low is going to be, where is our low going to be? I might've read you the low. Nope, I didn't. Hit BTC has Bitcoin at $8,923. 290,000 transactions have been made in the last 24 hours with 12,000 transactions being made on average per hour. Sub 1 million BTC have been sent around the horn in 24 hours. That's about 929,000 BTC. Uh, 38,700 BTC are being sent on average per hour with an average transaction value of 3.2 BTC, while the median transaction value is 0.045 BTC, right around 400 bucks. Block times are way freaking low, bro. Could you imagine why on earth would blocks block times be low? Could it be that everybody's figuring out that they need to get as much as they possibly can before the party starts to kind of close down a little bit? Block times are 8 minutes and 28 seconds. Block count is, let's see, 629,974, according to bitinfocharts.com. We'll check my note here in a second. We have 0.36 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 61.8 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Ooh, holy shit. We've had a 21% increase in hash rate. 21% in the last 24 hours. That brings us up to a a hash rate of 138.5 exahashes per second. The last time nobody did anything on Bitcoin development-wise was this morning. Ethereum is at 188, Bcash at 233, BSV at 182, Litecoin at 41.8, Ethereum Classic at 6 bucks, and Dogecoin at 0.0025. And at 32,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, Dogecoin pretty much is walking all over Litecoin. Eh, Poor Litecoin. It doesn't deserve that. Well, actually, it's a shitcoin, so yeah, it does. All right, now, my node is reading the uh, hash rate of the network as 134.1 exahashes per second as the average on the day and 121.5 exahashes per second as the weekly average. And as far, oh, we have 28,000 pending transactions in the mempool so far. And it looks like uh, all the blocks are full. Uh, Man, there's some, there's some heavy, Man, there's some heavy fees going on right now, so be aware, guys. Be aware. Uh, let's get into Lightning Network. What is Lightning Network doing today? This is uh, going to be Clark Moody Bitcoin. Bitcoin.clarkmoody.com forward slash dashboard. Total capacity is 932.35 BTC with a capacity value of $8.29 million US with 6,943 nodes representing 35,870 channels. We have, wow, 407.48 BTC in Tor capacity. And that brings up the percentage of Tor as the Lightning Network to 43.7%. That's the highest I've ever seen it. 
and there are 2,021 Tor nodes in the Lightning Network as we speak. That's going to do it for Vitals. news you can use part twos we have william suberg writing this for coin telegraph sometime this morning bitcoin crosses nine thousand dollars as paul tudor james pisses peter schiff straight into space oh i'm sorry that's not what it is paul tudor jones confirms one percent btc portfolio that's what it is but it's still pissing peter schiff off pretty good right now uh, data from Cointelegraph Markets and CoinMarketCap show BTC attempting to establish $9,000 as support on Monday as traditional markets prepare to also open lower. Having shed over $1,200 at the weekend in a move that saw some exchanges dive to just $8,250, Bitcoin then clung to around $8,800 for the rest of Sunday. At press time, price movements were still rocky. With halvening excitement contrasting with selling pressure on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, S&P 500, and elsewhere. Attention also focused on a CNBC interview from macro investor Paul Tudor Jones. I think I said James. It's not. It's Jones. Paul Tudor Jones, who last week revealed that he had purchased Bitcoin. He didn't. We'll get into that. Public praise from Jones could potentially spark an uptick in mainstream consumer purchasing described Describing cash as a wasting asset in your hand due to inflation, he told the network that Bitcoin represents at least 1% of his total assets and the figure could be closer to 2%. Quote, the dumping into a big bullish response is also what we have seen at previous bottoms. Cointelegraph analyst Flipflip summarized to subscribers on Monday. Quote, if the bulls can stay above 8,700 and the POC down here, then things might be looking up sooner rather than later. Uh, loose that and make it resistance and then it's bearish. Earlier... Cointelegraph published four areas for traders to watch ahead of the halving, which could hit in a matter of hours. The event has attracted considerably more attention than the previous halving in 2016, according to data from Google Trends, which suggests that search interest alone is 300% higher this year. <laughs> okay, about about this 1% allocation of Bitcoin in, in uh, PTJ's uh, thing. He doesn't own Bitcoin. Okay, get that through your head. He has exposure to the Bitcoin price via derivative instruments. He does not actually hold the physical Bitcoin, okay, which is a problem. Uh, it means that Paul still doesn't quite get it, but Paul may not be comfortable holding the Bitcoin himself because probably a lot of his assets are derivatives, which means that doesn't actually own any gold. He owns paper gold. He doesn't actually own any physical oil. He owns futures contracts. This kind of shit, right? And, you know, you wouldn't be comfortable, you know, owning, you know, 800,000 barrels of oil. Why? Because where would you put it? How would you secure it? Same thing with gold. I mean, at least gold doesn't explode and catch on fire and shit like that, like oil does. But still, it's like, God, it takes a lot of money to secure, you know, a billion dollars worth of gold. Yeah, and that's, an, that's a recurring cost. Security, 
storage, all that kind of shit, man. I mean, it's like if you hold a billion dollars worth of gold, it's draining away because you're paying security for that pile of gold. So there's that. And the fact that that shit makes you nervous. So a lot of people, even guys like Paul Tudor Jones, they don't like to hold the physical asset. And like oil, I wouldn't want to hold the physical asset. This shit's dangerous, man. I mean, that and it's kind of, you know, lost... (laughs) fell on its ass in the last few months, as we've seen. The point being is that there are people that we would consider, oh my God, they're so rich and they're so smart and they're so this and they're so that. And then we come to find out that they're just as scared of shit as anybody else. They're terrified of holding their own coin. But in the case of Bitcoin, you have to do it. You, you, you have to. You, you just have to. Getting price exposure does nothing for you except open you up to the exposure of the price, which, as we've seen, is relatively volatile. The only way not to get liquidated out of this market because you're holding paper Bitcoin is to actually have the Bitcoin. And it's easy to store. It's easy to transmit. Why wouldn't you? Okay. So, again, just keep in mind that Paul Tudor Jones is a human like anybody else. And he has comfort levels like anybody else. And apparently holding physical Bitcoin is not part of his comfort level. Please get on Twitter and hammer his Twitter account to tell him that it's a lot easier than he might think. And he won't get liquidated if he, well, whatever. Grayscale holds $3.7 billion US and it's nearly all Bitcoin. In under a year, Grayscale has pulled in an extra $1 billion to its main trading funds. This is Will Heisman writing sometime this morning for Decrypt.co. Digital asset manager Grayscale now boasts a total of $3.7 billion worth of Bitcoin, Ethereum, and several other cryptocurrencies under management. Marking an all-time high for the firm, these funds are held on behalf of its investors. Uh, See, this is where the investors... The investors get paper exposure, and I'm thinking Grayscale actually has the assets under management, which means they hold the actual coins. But still, the investors could get hosed because they don't actually hold the Bitcoin themselves. Just buy the Bitcoin. Buy the underlying asset. It's easy to store. Shit, guys. This latest update represents a $500 million increase in Grayscale's total assets under management since its Q1 report Published March 31st, 2020. In fact, in a little under a year, Grayscale added $1 billion, or 37%, to its total assets under management, with the firm's reporting $2.7 billion of assets under management in July 2019. First arriving on the scene in 2013 with the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, the asset manager has amassed a huge amount of cryptocurrency since. Heavily focused on Bitcoin to begin with, the firm eventually diversified into several additional large-cap shitcoins. Yet Grayscale still retains the vast majority of today's holdings in its Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, which maintains $3.3 billion worth of Bitcoin, the equivalent of 89.1% of its total asset under management. As reported by Decrypt, Grayscale, along with Square's Bitcoin Payments Processors Cash App, bought up an amount of Bitcoin equivalent to half of all newly minted Bitcoin in quarter one of 2020. A vast chunk of Grayscale's remaining allocated fund lies in Grayscale Ethereum Trust, with the second largest cryptocurrency claiming $279 million, or 7.5% of Grayscale's assets under management. 
Oh no, dude, get me back to my thing, bro. <clears throat> Sorry, I accidentally clicked on something I shouldn't have. Uh, this institutional demand for ETH appears to be a growing trend. God. 2020 has been a particularly good year for the Ethereum. Okay, you know what? I don't give a shit about Ethereum because it's just a shit coin. So let's move on. $10 billion stable coin boom as Bitcoin having nears, call it the halvening people, a stable coin boom could signal bullish Bitcoin sentiment in advance of its may having experts say. Timothy Lloyd, misusing the term having, is writing this for decrypt.co sometime on May the 4th. So this is an older one, but hey, let's let's... It has something to do with the happening, so let's get into it. A stablecoin boom that's propelled their total market cap past $9.5 billion this year could signal bullish Bitcoin sentiment ahead of its imminent halving, experts told Decrypt. According to crypto data tracker DApp Total, the total market cap for stablecoins topped $9.5 billion U.S. last month, with Tether, the oldest, largest, and most widely adopted stablecoin, minting over a billion dollars in April alone. Ganesh Nataj, an, an assistant professor of finance at Warwick Business School in the UK, told Decrypt that anticipation of Bitcoin's having could be driving the issuance of stablecoins. Nataj, who recently published a paper covering stablecoins' impact on broader crypto markets with UC Berkeley professor Richard Lyons, said that USDT issuance could be driven by speculation on Bitcoin's price later this year. And given the halving is due in about a month's time, investors may hoard Tether for that reason. Uh, God. Lending weight to the suggestion that traders are loading up stablecoins on exchanges in preparation to buy Bitcoin, $3 billion of stablecoins were deposited on exchanges this year, a record for stablecoin reserves, according to crypto analytics firm Masari. Some traders certainly are banking on the price of Bitcoin rising post-halving. Quote, if the new supply of Bitcoin is cut in half, all else being equal, the price should rise, end quote, wrote Dan Moorhead, the chief executive of blockchain investment firm Pantera Capital, in his April letter to investors. Moorhead notes that between the Federal Reserve's efforts to contain the coronavirus induced financial uh, crisis through unlimited quantitative easing and cash literally becoming a vector for the spread of disease, there's more than a 50-50 chance Bitcoin goes up and goes up big. Beyond the roughly $2.7 billion in new Tether minted on in 2020, blockchain financial compliance firm Chainalysis found that a 250% increase in the amount of USDT moved on-chain or between crypto wallets over the last 12 months ending in March. Jeez. Much of this growth is due to transactions settled on the Ethereum blockchain, which accounted for 90% of all USDT settlements in March. In fact, value transferred on ETH reached parity with BTC for the first time ever in April, according to Misari. Rising dollar demand on ETH, global foreign exchange, and capital markets in general is mirrored by growing demand for Bitcoin. Despite BTC's price rocketing by over 20% in the last month, though Ganesh and Lyons found no systematic evidence that stablecoin issuance affects cryptocurrency prices. Their research contradicts the controversial and disputed view that Tether issuance serves to manipulate Bitcoin's price, a conclusion drawn by a widely cited 2018 University of Texas study. Well, yeah, fuck you, Longhorns. I hate that university anyway. Sorry, I can't help it. I'm from tech. I mean, hey, 
Never mind, don't worry about it. Instead, they say the opposite is true. Stablecoin issuance, Ganesh and Lions Right endogenously respond to deviations of the secondary market rate from the pegged rate. In other words, stablecoin issuance responds to shifts in the crypto markets with stablecoins performing a safe haven role in the crypto economy. Matthew Graham, the chief executive of Sino Global Capital, a Beijing-based blockchain investment firm, agrees, quote, overall, we think it's non-trivial to predict Bitcoin prices based on stablecoin metrics, he said. There are correlations, but these effects are swamped by other factors such as both investor views on the having sentiment and the actual reduction in the supply of new Bitcoin, end quote. Broadly speaking, however, Graham said he is modestly bullish on Bitcoin's price post-halving, irrespective of the non-straightforward correlation that hyper-growth in the use of stablecoins and their popularity as a safe haven portend. At the heart of stablecoin's safe haven narrative is dollarization. The greenback has, for the last century, served as the global reserve currency, the safest and most convertible option amongst other fiat instruments. The ongoing economic chaos spawned by the coronavirus pandemic has the world running for shelter in U.S. currency. The crypto economy is no exception, hence the flight to stablecoins. While Tether has captured the lion's share of stablecoin activity, competitors like the exchange consortium-backed USD coin, Binance USD, and Huobi's HUSD token are also gaining traction. The common thread between Tether and its emerging rivals is their integration with crypto exchanges. Quote, proximity to liquidity matters, Masari wrote. Another linking factor is that the three strongest stablecoins are st- strongly connected to Asia. Oh, God. While Tether's iFinex parent company is headquartered in Hong Kong, Binance is led by a Chinese-born chief executive and receives most of its BTC inflows from Huobi, a Singapore-based exchange founded in China. The second largest BTC flow between exchanges is just a reverse course of the leader, with around $1.2 billion moving from Binance to Huobi, according to 2019 data from crypto tracking service Token Analysts. <clears throat> no, sorry, excuse me. Darius Sit, the managing partner of QCP Capital, an over-the-counter trading firm based in Singapore, says stablecoin flows have been following this reverse current back into Asia. Sit told Decrypt that his firm is increasingly seeing stablecoins used to enable Asian trade finance. 90% of our spot trading business is in stablecoins, said Sit. We are seeing an average of 10 to $20 million in stablecoin transactions every day. Wow. He, no, actually, stablecoin transaction volume every day. That's important to know. He added that businesses in Malaysia and Indonesia, for example, are using stablecoins to pay their suppliers in China, transferring funds via ETH wallets. Chain analysis data backs this up. The firm told Decrypt that in the last month, much of the demand for Tether came from institutional leaders or OTC desks, probably based in China, while 75% of USDT slash ETH transfers are less than $2,000. 65% of the value was transferred in large transactions of over $100,000 each. Quote, this suggests that a large source of the demand for Tether likely comes from professionals, probably based in China, where there is no fiat available to on-ramp into the crypto market, said Chainalysis spokesperson Maddie Kennedy. Jeff Liu the co-founder of Chinese blockchain security for firm Peck Shield Inc. agrees, quote, the majority of stablecoin users are in China and Asia, and their usage has been accelerating in recent months, end quote. 
The shift is driven by monetary mobility, according to SIT. On the heels of the COVID-19 pandemic, companies doing business in the Asia-Pacific region encountered a banking freeze. They've turned to stablecoins, which, said SIT, enable more instantaneous, inexpensive, and frictionless business-to-business payments throughout Asia. Stablecoins are still mainly used for crypto trading and enabling capital flight, Lou said. In 2019, PeckShield report found that crypto enabled some $11.4 billion U.S. in Chinese capital flight last year, most of which was denominated in Bitcoin and Tether. The majority of these funds moved to countries with looser capital controls like the United States, Japan, and Singapore. Despite growing stablecoin adoption in Asia, SIT believes the halving might be a non-event, with the block reward being further reduced. Smaller miners miners will have less resources to compete with industrial-scale operations. As a result, SIT said miners that priced out of the new crypto economy may shut down their rigs and liquidate their holdings, exerting downward pressure on Bitcoin's price. He also noted that bigger miners may collude to push the price down further to accelerate the demise of smaller operations and seize more networking power. Regardless, stablecoins gain a function in Asia combined with the first major trial of the People Bank of China's ERMB digital currency set to launch this week suggests that as far as crypto goes, the whole world is one step behind China, said Sit. Oh, there you go. That was a long one, but there was actually, that was a good one because there's a lot of meaty stuff in there. But the one takeaway that I'm going to, I'm going to go with from that particular article is that the entire Ethereum network is being cannibalized by Bitcoin via Tether. And if you think it's going to stop with Ethereum, you'd be wrong. The only existence that shitcoin networks are going to have is in service of Bitcoin, most likely via some kind of stable coin. So all the ETH heads that were out there saying, Sam, there's more Tether, there's more Tether on the Ethereum network than there is on Bitcoin. Yeah, it's because Bitcoin's too important to dabble with this kind of bullshit. So we're going to offload this bullshit to your bullshit chain where bullshit belongs. Sorry, Ethereum, but apparently Ethereum 2.0 is only going to be useful for transferring Ethereum and it probably won't be, or transferring Tether and it probably won't be very useful at that. Ethereum 1.0 will probably always actually be around. And the whole proof of stake move is just going to be a a non-starter. If it does start, it's just going to service Bitcoin via Tether and other stable coins. Sorry, but that's just the way it is. Top investor explains why Bitcoin halving cannot be priced in. It's priced in, bruh. Nick Chong is writing for Bitcoinist.com sometime this morning, and he says... Well, what does he say? In approximately 10 hours after this article is published, Bitcoin will see its latest block reward having. No, it's happening, dude. Uh, This is when there is a 50% decrease or a halving in the number of BTC minted each block. This upcoming 2020 halving will drop the block reward to 6.25 coins per block. One, once the having activates, there will be a there will be one eighth the number of Bitcoin minted each day than there were around the time of cryptocurrency's inception. Critics have long argued that the upcoming having is priced in, meaning that BTC won't rally after this event like it did in the past. 
Yet one prominent investor has argued that this is not the case, stating that Bitcoin's halving is not and cannot be priced in. In an extensive Twitter thread published just a day out from the halving, noted Bitcoin commentator and bull Vijay Boyapati explained this sentiment. His argument is that because Bitcoin isn't a traditional financial asset, not representing equity like stocks and not providing yields like bonds, it doesn't fit into the traditional framework of asset valuations. This makes pricing in the halving impossible, quote. In finance, the term priced in refers to whether information that affects future potential cash flow of a revenue generating asset, Bitcoin has no cash flows, end quote. Boyapati continued that because Bitcoin's halvings shatter the market equilibrium of supply and demand by decre decreasing supply, consistent demand after the halving would cause the price to rise to a level that satisfies a new equilibrium. Due to Bitcoin being a market with a growing number of users and because of the madness of crowds, there's no telling where that new equilibrium will be until it happens. Hence, pricing in the halving is impossible, Boyapati explained. Boyapati asserted that Bitcoin's market top cannot be decisively predicted because it is dependent on the cohort size of investors, though this hasn't stopped some analysts from trying to gauge what region the cryptocurrency could enter into the wake of the imminent halving. A Bitcoin analyst going by the moniker of Plan B found that the market capitalization of BTC can be predicted by creating a chart where the stock-to-flow ratio, an asset's above-ground supply over its yearly inflation rate, is the independent variable and market cap is the dependent variable, then using a logarithmic regression to connect each historic point. The model, accurate to a 95% R-squared, and then confirmed by statistical studies, found that Bitcoin's fair value will rise to $55,000 to $100,000 after the next block reward reduction or halving in May of 2020. This optimism has been shared by Dan Moorhead, CEO of Pantera Capital, in a newsletter for the month of April, the former Wall Street investor suggesting that assuming historical trends hold, BTC could rally to 115000 in the wake of the halving. The halving, Moorhead, it's the halving. Moorhead came to this conclusion by taking Bitcoin's performance from the 2016 halving to the 2017 peak, then multiplying that by 0 0.4, the ratio of the impact of 2020's having on BTC's inflation over that of the last having. I don't know, man. Sometimes I just think this math is, is just like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, they're just throwing shit in to make a new recipe. I know that if I, I know that if I cook the chicken all the way through, then I can use it. I can use any spices on it. Right. Okay. As long as it doesn't make you sick and die. Right then I can stew it in tomatoes or I can throw some ginger on it or I could I could do all kinds of shit with it. it this is sort of what this math reminds me of. Don't get me wrong. I like plan B, but honestly, guys, some of this, some of this math is getting a little weird. And I think what I'm, I'm going to change, not directions, I'm going to change an order of a story that I was going to read last, but I'm going to read it right now. <clears throat> um, Let's see here. The problem with money. 
is too much privacy, says ex-U.S. Treasurer, Treasury Secretary Summers. This was written today by Bradley Kuhn for Coindesk.com. Former U.S. Treasury Secretary Lawrence Summers said there may be too much privacy associated with government-issued cash, noting the prevalence of money laundering and its widespread use for storing and moving the proceeds from Corruption. Quote, I think the problems we have now with money involve too much privacy, Summer said in an appearance at Coindesk Consensus Distributed Virtual Conference on Monday. In a world of inordinate tax evasions, trillions of dollars of laundered money around corruption and the drug trade, the last objective of government policy should be the promotion of anonymity with respect to large financial transactions. I'm surprised they didn't put child pornography and sex trafficking in there. I mean, why not? Just throw the whole damn everything in the kitchen sink at this thing. God. While many people in the cryptocurrency community and elsewhere are concerned that the digitization of money and elimination of physical cash would result in an Orwellian surveillance state, Summers was blunt in contending that traceability would be a feature. Not a bug. <laughs> if there is a case for central banks to issue digital currencies, he said, quote, it's the opposite. Leveling the playing field between large and small players and making it more difficult for anonymous forms of finance to flourish. Of all the important freedoms, the ability to do multi-million dollar transactions anonymously is one of the least important freedoms, end quote. Dude, are you shitting me? I mean, they're not even, they're not even hiding it anymore, guys. They're, they don't even care. They don't care. They don't care anymore. If they hide it, if they're completely transparent about their chicanery and their bullshit, dude, this is going to, this is going to end up culminating in a bunch of poor people killing a bunch of rich people. Not tomorrow, not the next day, but probably sooner than we think and bloodier than we can imagine. I'm, I'm just saying because this kind of attitude at one point is the same kind of attitude that a certain, oh, let's see, royalty, a woman of royalty in France, what was her name? She said something about let them eat cake. And whether or not that story is true or not, it doesn't matter. She still lost her head. His comments stand in contrast to those of fellow establishment figure Yves Merch, or is that Minch? No, Merch, a board member of the European Central Bank who spoke sympathetically on the privacy concerns some have about potential digital versions of fiat currencies during his keynote address earlier in the day. Quote, some argue that a token-based digital currency might not guarantee complete anonymity. If that proved to be the case, it would inevitably raise social, political, and legal issues, Merch said in his presentation. But to Summers, anonymous digital cash with the government what the hell? Imprimatur would undermine the progress made by governments in combating financial crime since the 1970s. Uh-huh. Quote, one of the financial community's accomplishments has been to destroy your wealth. Oh, I'm, no, I, I read that wrong. One of the financial community's accomplishments has been some progress with respect to issues around bank secrecy. And I would think it tragic if we were to turn backwards in some jurisdictions in an effort to get some sovereignty revenue, where to go into competition by offering anonymous stores of value. He said, oh, my God, on another subject. 
Summer said it would not be sensible to assume a rampant inflation will result from the trillions of dollars of money injections that central banks have pumped into global financial markets as part of the coronavirus relief efforts. Economists warn following the 2008 financial crisis that the Federal Reserve's balance sheet assured major inflation down the road, Summers said. That didn't transpire. To assume that this growth in the balance sheet necessarily points to an inflationary period would not be a sensible judgment, Summers said. This just gets worse and worse and worse, man. The Fed's assets have surged to six hundred or $6.7 trillion. That's trillion with a freaking T. A 62% increase just since the end of February, a report last week showed some cryptocurrency investors claim Bitcoin can serve as a hedge against the potential inflation caused by central bank money injections, though analysts have noted that recessions often can be deflationary as flagging consumer demand and higher unemployment reduce upward pressure on prices and wages. Not entirely untrue. Summers acknowledged that one would be a fool not to recognize that the inflation risks, given the magnitude of this dislocation, are greater than they were three months ago. He said it's likely there will be a blurring of the roles of the Treasury and the Fed. That's on purpose, y'all. Okay, that's not that's a feature, not a bug. As authorities work to mitigate the devastating economic and market impact of the coronavirus, which kills 1.7% of people that see it. I'm not, I'm sorry. It's probably, I guess it sh- I should take it more seriously, but I'm looking at death rates and I'm like, how is this not like what we see every single year? Yet somehow this year we shut down the world's economy, cranked up the money printers and are warning people that the lines between the treasury and the fed may become blurred. I don't know, man, somebody staple a tinfoil hat to my head because this year has just been as weird as can be. I'll end with this quote, inevitably there's going to be more overlap in the roles of monetary and fiscal policy. Summers said the high point of central bank independence has been passed. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Whatever. Okay, you can join Tweedledee and Tweedledum in making stupid-ass statements. We'll go to this one. This is Nick Chong writing for Bitcoinist.com sometime yesterday. Dr. Doom and Peter Schiff lambast Bitcoin after it drops $2,000 in two days. Dr. Doom and Peter Schiff now, in my mind, are Tweedledee and Tweedledum. After rallying as high as $10,000, Bitcoin fell off a cliff on Saturday. In the day prior to and in the hours after the closing of Saturday's candle, the BTC price plummeted from $10,100 to a low of $8,100, a drop of 20%. I've seen it before, bro. I'm actually used to them. Welcome to Bitcoin, motherfucker. It was a move that liquidated over $1 billion worth of leveraged positions on futures exchanges and one that enticed Bitcoin bears to gloat. As crypto analyst Joseph Young jokingly put it, the worst part of the dump isn't the dump itself. It's Peter Schiff's tweets afterwards. And yeah, dude, Mr. Young is entirely correct. Many of Bitcoin's uh, biggest cynics were quick to celebrate the stark reversal in the market, citing it as clear evidence that their bearish thesis on BTC are true, which they do every single time that this happens over the last seven years. And yet, 
we always come back. You went, one wonders when these assholes are going to find the freaking capacity to learn. I don't know, man. It's weird. Noriel, Dr. Doom Rabini, a professor at NYU Stern and a prominent skeptic of current market conditions for both stocks and Bitcoin, said that the recent drop validates his theory that crypto is manipulated. Quote, it's a rigged, totally manipulated, whales-controlled market where most transaction volumes are false as exchanges pretend to have liquidity that they don't have. Massive pump and dump, spoofing, front-running, wash trading, total scam, Rubini scathed, channeling his sentiment that cryptocurrency is rife with scammers. And he's right, by the way. Cryptocurrency in general is 99.99% scammers. Bitcoin only. And I can see some chains like Ethereum and, you know, networks like that being cannibalized totally to service the needs of the one true cryptocurrency. All else is bullshit. Okay. It's just bullshit. Rabini first found about the cryptocurrency years ago, but has asserted that this industry is a space for charlatans and good for nothing. As Peter Schiff, a prominent libertarian economist known for his love of gold, echoed Rubini's line, the longtime cryptocurrency skeptic who first found out about Bitcoin over five years ago, but didn't buy, argued that the recent rally is just speculators selling the news on the block reward having taking place in a day, quote, looks like some of the Bitcoin speculators who bought in anticipation of the having couldn't wait for the actual fact to start selling. As more sellers jumped the gun, by the time the fact occurs, the profits those buying the rumor were hoping to cash in on may already be gone. Yes, because Peter Schiff does so much research into all aspects of this that he clearly knows what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, right. Schiff added in a later tweet that the leading cryptocurrency is a fraud and is nothing, arguing the strict value of the asset is zero. <laughs> but these bears might not be laughing for much longer. Analysts have suggested, as reported by Bitcoin, as previously prominent traders believe that the fundamentals of this market remain decisively bullish. Tom Lee, a Fundstat Strat Global Advisors, a New York-based market analysis firm, identified four such fundamentals. These factors, which suggest that medium-term marketing growth or market growth is likely, are as follows. One, Bitcoin is the best performing asset class in 2020, beating U.S. treasuries and gold amid global recession. Two. BTC was the best performing asset class of 2019, rallying 92% while the United States stock market gained around 20. Three, the block reward halving is just 24 hours out. It's an event that analysts think will boost the cryptocurrency market due to supply demand dynamics. Four, Paul Tudor Jones, one of the world's biggest macro investors, just announced his fund is taking a stake in Bitcoin futures. Jones believes the cryptocurrency will act as a hedge against inflation. All right, guys, that's going to do it for, uh, for the snooze that you can use. Get into, let's see, shall we do a chicken report? Chickens are fine. Tree report. I am not seeing, I, I planted eight fruit trees like uh, last week, and I am not seeing signs of shock. I'm also not seeing uh, like bug infestations, which kind of herald or not herald shock, but uh, if a tree goes into shock, what happens is uh, many, many times they put off uh, pheromones that attract uh, pests. And in this, it's really weird. It's like 
It's like yelling, I'm hurt, I'm hurt out into the wild when you know that the only people that will answer the call are people who want to come hurt you more. It's bizarre. I don't understand. I mean, sometimes I think I I understand what nature is doing because it makes a lot of sense, but shit like this, it doesn't make any sense at all, but it happens. They put off pheromones when they're stressed that attract um, insects that basically come in and finish the job because they know that they can. There's not a whole lot of, you know, chemistry being made in the plant that makes it taste bad to bugs who are chomping on its leaves and they just chomp away. But anyway, I have not seen any such bug infestations on the trees that I have planted. I am going to say a few words about the coronavirus, though. Everybody else is. Why not me? But this this happened to me. I think it was, uh, pretty sure it was either Thursday or uh, Friday. Uh, my daughter uh, was having some, you know, stomach uh, distress, you know, nausea, just feeling kind of bad, you know, just, ugh, you know, and some, some other things that were going along with it, but it was really like, kind of like lost appetite and stuff like that. So I took her to the clinic out here and remember we live in a small town. Okay. I'm not living in freaking Houston or Dallas or something like that. I'm living in, you know, sub 20,000 population rural America in the panhandle of Texas. I walk in with my do- daughter a doctor's office I walked into the day before about my arm, okay, because it was still hurting. They took me in. They get, took my temperature. They're like, they're totally fine, you know. <clears throat> took my blood pressure, got me in, saw a doctor, chit-chatted with her, blah, blah, blah. Everything was fine. Got a prescription, got some uh, uh, Flexeril or whatever. Um, and, you know, it, it, normal experience. 24 hours later. I take my daughter, we stand there like idiots while this woman at the reception office says, what, what, what's wrong? Like, well, she's got, she's got a tummy ache and, and, you know, some other things and, you know, uh, she has no fever. Uh, so she's like, oh, you, you've got, you've got to go, uh, you've got to leave. We have protocol. Uh, if you want, you can sit in your car and you can call us on the phone for a phone consult. And I'm like, what? I, you know what? Okay, whatever. Go out, call the number, you know, my poor daughter's sitting there kind of like wondering what the hell's going on. I call this freaking number, <clears throat> go through the audits system, one to do this, one to do that. And I'm like, well, shit, man, why did they tell me to call you? What, you know, in either event, I, find, I hit the number and it's like extension 019 is unavailable. Please leave a message. And I'm like, oh, oh shit. No, uh, no, bro. You just fucking done torn it get out of my car. I walk back in and read them the riot act. I'm like, I'm done, dude. I'm done. She's like, call right back. I I promise I'll put her directly on the phone and I won't transfer you to the audit system. I'm like, all right. Doctor gets on the phone. And then after I tell her that there are, that I'm frustrated because that there are more things going on in the world than the fucking coronavirus. And this is true. There are more. It's almost as if the coronavirus has completely alleviated all other health, all other health problems in the world. Nobody's having heart attacks. Nobody's dying of cancer. Apparently Uh, nobody, I don't know. Nobody has a fever for anything other than coronavirus. Right? So, you know, 
I'm getting done with this shit. Anyway, it gets worse. Okay. The last part of this is that I have her on a speakerphone. It's easy to hear when you're on a speakerphone. It's almost immediate that you can pick up that you are talking to somebody who has you on speakerphone. She goes, well, she's not running a virus, but she has this tummy ache and this other thing. Um, you know, she really needs to go get tested for coronavirus at the health department. My daughter's 10 years old. You heartless, weird, no bedside manner, having little shit. It took 30 minutes to calm my daughter down. And of course, I'm not going to take her to go get tested for freaking coronavirus. Because the thing that she had that prompted this woman to say, because she has this, she uh, is displaying coronavirus, is not anywhere on the CDC website. It's not, in fact, it's not in any of the medical literature that I've read on the symptoms of coronavirus, whether it's from just PhDs or people like the CDC who may or may not be incompetent. I don't really know at this point, but I mean, it is the CDC. So all medical centers in the United States are going to follow their recommendations. And here's what they list for coronavirus, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And guess what's not on it? The thing that the woman thought that my daughter had to go get tested for the coronavirus for, which my daughter fully heard and flipped because everybody has made so much of this stupid bullshit that kills about the same amount of people that we lose every year from flu, pneumonia, all kinds of shit. I'm not saying to not worry about it, but this kind of crap, Dude, I'm so over it. It's just not even funny. So for all of for all the people who just want to live in a world that is rife with bad shit happening all the time and nothing good could ever actually happen, please do do me and many others a favor and walk your ass off of a cliff because I'm tired of freaking dealing with you. I'm sorry. We we go through major cullings of the human population every year all year long, and we don't freak out like this, and we don't find it acceptable to scare the living piss out of 10-year-old girls for no reason whatsoever. So coronavirus and all of you people who think that this is the end of the world because of it, shove it up your ass. I'm done. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.